anytime an organization is hiring, they're sending out an SOS, right? I need help. I'm buried. <laughs> and they need somebody to say, listen, I don't have a whole lot of problems and I'm going to solve your problems. <laughs> so then it becomes the point if I do have issues, right? When do I address that? Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help professionals navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search in order to stress less and earn more in their careers. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Erica Recamp to the podcast. Erica is an executive writer and content strategist at career services firm Job Search Like a Pro. Previously, she served as a head senior writer of Challenger Gray and Christmas, Empowered Possibilities, and EQIQ Coaching. Erica is also a member of the National Association of Resume Writers and Career Thought Leaders. In today's combo, we talk about where job search advice goes wrong, how to differentiate between a normal and a toxic work environment, and how to actually listen to yourself when it comes to the job search, rather than all of the conflicting advice out in the ether. From should I go to college to how do I talk about resume gaps and job hopping, this episode is for you. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and help more job seekers build their career. That's it for the intro today, so without further ado, here is my convo with Erica. Today's Career Therapy podcast is sponsored by Career Therapy. Go figure. Our Unstuck coaching program provides you with the month-by-month support that you need to successfully navigate your job search. Each month, you will receive two 30-minute one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited Slack and email chats between calls, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions with other seekers, and access to our eight-part curriculum. With our flexible month-by-month schedule, you also have the ability to cancel at any time with no long-term commitments. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand in your search, head over to careertherapy.com and click the button on the homepage to reserve a free 15-minute consultation with me to see if coaching is right for you. Wishing you all the best. Thank you for tuning in. Now back to the show. I'm thinking, you know, I did want to ask you especially. Mm-hmm. And again, I know I'm not interviewing you, but like <laughs> um, your, because I have some ideas on like when it's appropriate to bring up some of these topics. Mm-hmm. And I, so I thought about kind of talking about that a little bit. Um, just cause I feel like that's a real sticky point for a lot of job seekers. Like they hear some people say, you know, wave your freak flag and, you know, come in demanding this, that, and the other. And some people need that, like they can't not say, and some people can't say, right. Like they really aren't ever comfortable. So that was something that I don't know. I was listening to Sonal Balls, um, Bahel's podcast this morning or live mm-hmm. stream this morning. And she had someone on there talking about that. Um, and he just kind of gave one of those, whatever feels right answers. And it, I know people always say it depends or do whatever feels right. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like they need a little more to hold on to. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it is interesting because, I mean, that's, that's the whole issue here, right? The whole issue is that we're creating content and we have to choose a side, right? And um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, right? I mean, it's, and if you don't choose a side, uh, it's actually something that I've struggled with a lot um, in the work that I've done where it's like, I like to be very in the middle and not sort of take sides and you know, peacemaker, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm very much a mediator in the work that I do. Right. There's a push anytime that you create something or put something online to like really take a side. Like the people that I see who have really big followings are very anti-corporate or very pro entrepreneurship yeah. or very like uh, anti, you know, whatever the thing is you like, you you're pro something, you're anti something, you, you have a stance and, uh, it's, it's hard as coaches to know what to do with that because with one person, I'm very pro corporate because they need that structure. And with other people, right. I'm very pro, like, you know, do what you need to do. And, and that's, uh, that's like, how you're going to get through it. Exactly. Like for me, it's, it's a mix of both. I, I work with companies and I do my own thing. It's like, so it's hard for me to be like, one is better than the other because both were necessary in my career. But I'm curious with you, like, what was your journey of figuring out your mix? Because maybe that's what we can talk about. It's like how to find the right mix for you rather than what mix is right for you. Sure. So for my, like how I'm coaching other people, my default, like how I started um, in the industry, like, so just a little bit about my background. I started in Nigerian praise poetry. So that was really about celebrating people, social responsibility, getting people to embrace the possibilities and their own empowerment to make positive change within their community, within their culture, within the world. Loved that. Super, again, that's super idealistic, right? <laughs> and I went from that to like executive outplacement, which was a hundred percent research driven absolutely like cutting job searches in half, um, really watching the industry numbers in terms of who's hiring, who's investing, who's selling off to, to target, where can we get the highest, best offers, right? Incredibly strategic. And then, so balancing both of these perspectives with um, some coaches do, like I had some coaches that I worked with that were entirely empowerment and they'd incorporate yoga and they'd talk about emotional quotient really soft and saying, listen, it doesn't matter how qualified you are. If they don't like you yeah. <laughs> or if you're a wreck, they're not going to hire you anyway. Um, so I do like, like you're saying to have all these considerations in our toolbox and say, listen, we need to talk to the client or we need to talk to the job seeker and figure out what's working for them. And sometimes it takes some testing right? You, you might say, Hmm, this, this really, um, this employee advocate that I'm reading online, that sounds great. I'd like to try some of these things in interviews and you try an interview and you're like, I'm not getting any offers. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm showing my cards too soon. Right. And so, or somebody's really not comfortable. Like we talked about, even if we know the best practices, for the job search. We mm -hmm. know what they should do. We know how often they yeah. should be reaching out. We know the messages they should be using. If you have like crimpling social anxiety, it's not going to happen. Right. So having that scotch of self-awareness to say, okay, that, that sounds great for you. For me, I need to find another route. That's yeah. not going to work. 
Yeah. And I think it's also interesting to figure out like, you know, how, how do we kind of adjust the practices? Cause I think that that's really important. Basically what we're seeing, and, and I think this is kind of what we are going to dip in and out of throughout the conversation is there's so much out there that if you yeah. were to listen to the advice, it would ruin your career. And I think and your life, can, you'd have yeah, no time. Your life. To do exactly. else. Yeah. And so like, I think when someone says like, oh, you should try entrepreneurship or you should, you know, nine to fives are the worst or, you know, like a, here's a big one. The biggest thing that I've seen over the last decade, uh, being in these entrepreneurial circles is college is a waste of time and money. And okay. I've had a lot of people uh, push me to get on that bandwagon. And in some ways I can understand that bandwagon. I can sure. even, even see like, yeah, there's plenty of degrees that are a complete waste of time and plenty of people that right. don't use their degrees. Um, <clears throat> personally, I wouldn't be able to do any of the things I'm doing if I didn't go to school Same. for marketing and advertising and, and design. And I, I know someone who has gone down the path of really being against college, really being against all these things and had written books about it and has built courses about it. And like, he's a coach in his own right. And he's quite successful in his own right, but he's in my mind, incredibly cringy and Okay. you know, won't call people out, but like, if you listen to his advice, basically his advice is be me. I didn't do these things, uh... but you should be me. And there's a lot of stuff out there. That's just be me. And I think it's interesting to see where the lines are between good coaches and inspirational figures and Right. Motivators. Like there's so many different types of things out there. Like you said, people that bring in yoga and meditation into their coaching. It's like, sometimes you need someone you say, I want to be that person. And you go try to be Tim Ferriss. Or you go try to be whatever, but it's like, I can, because I'm so separated from it, I can see how that person's trying to be that person. And that person's trying to be that person. And that person's trying to be Oprah. And it's like, right. you, you sort of <laughs> see like the, 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 the line. And so I, I look at that stuff and I'm like, that could work for some people, but to actually replicate what people do uh, and try and build your life around what other people are saying um, you should do, I think is really tough for folks because then you get lost. You lose yourself in it. And yeah. what, and what sort of things are mark. you seeing there? Yeah, it's off the mark. What are you seeing? Um, absolutely. No, and I, and I think you're right that we're seeing a huge influx in coaches. Anytime there's a recession, there's a you know, a bunch of dabblers, right. Mm -hmm. So to speak. And, and they've got to start somewhere, right. Yeah. They've got to, they've got a self brand as whatever they want to be. Um, but then you need to figure out, you know, even if they do kind of hitch their wagon to somebody else's strategy and, and sometimes it does make more sense for some people not to reinvent the wheel Yeah. and they'll even send people directly to other people's YouTube videos and other people's content. And that's fine. But then you want to ask them, what's their strategy? What are your goals? What are your risks that you're willing? Because sometimes you only need a confidence boost. Mm -hmm. You only need a little tweak. Like your content's pretty strong already. Yeah. Um, but some people really need more. And, and so that's where it's really important to find out the alignment, find out the service offerings, 
and ask those tough questions, knowing what you need for yourself. And this is what you're talking about. I don't want the one size fits all solution because it's going to be a mess, right? If somebody says, you know, you need to start your resume with um, your top three accomplishments and then drive straight into the experience section because recruiters are sick of reading generic summaries. And so you try that. Okay, what if I'm in IT, right? They're expecting to see your tech skills yeah. front and center. I might not have any big accomplishments if I'm starting out in my career. Like, so you could really mangle your search right. by just reading it, a tip and copying it. Right. Yeah. Like my brother's a lawyer and he asked me for career advice and I was like, I don't think it's going to help you. <laughs> my stuff is for a totally <laughs> different industry. And like there, there is so much interesting stuff for us to dig into. So maybe we can kind of take it topic by topic, the big sure. things that people get highly opinionated on um, and maybe just break it down a little bit. So should you go to college? That's a huge one, right? Um what are some of the things that people should consider when, you know, the future of college is a little bit like high price, quirky. low return, right? It's a little right. quirky, right? So like, what have you sort of seen as like the benefits of having a college degree and the detriments of not? That's a really awesome question. And it's a really hot button topic, especially with people trying to decide what to do with some of these restrictions fluctuating, right? Is it worth putting my kid through this, subjecting them to this, whatever social situation is going on or medical situations are going on? Um, that's awesome. So the first thing to consider is what kind of a toolkit do you need to succeed? So for example, I'm in writing yeah, I can just start writing and try to publish books and it could work out pretty well for me. I thrive on structure. I thrive on having clear expectations. I, by taking the courses, I was able to learn out how to create style sheets for publishing companies. I was able to learn, you know, the difference between proofreading and substantive editing, like things that became, by me having that knowledge base, walking into the door, and trying to get jobs, which by the way, they did expect a bachelor's of mm -hmm. <laughs> If I'm learning to work corporate, they did expect it. Um, I was able to come in really quickly and make a lot of traction in my career because of that really technical background. It does, it does depend on your industry and what you want to do, right? If you're more than happy being an electrician, you can make six figures, go for it. That's a six month, you know, and then apprenticeship you know, you're set. But if you're wanting to go for a white collar role, if you're hoping to have insurance for your family, then, you know, you really might want to consider what is a going to be a lucrative career path. That's not to say that you have to go to an Ivy League school. That's not to say that you can't take advantage of some, you know, really great ways to fast track your, um, your degree process. Like maybe you decide, I don't care about my, my GPA doesn't have to be a 4.0. I do not have to have honors designation. I really just need this degree and I need to hit the market. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. I think only the like valedictorian, co-valedictorian at like really top schools actually see a market difference in how well they perform, you know, long-term making it worth that like high sticker price or that name brand stamp on your background and really how many people are going to work that hard. 
Yeah. So I think it's it's an absolutely important thing to keep in mind because most jobs, and I think people don't like to hear this, but most jobs are just jobs. They're not right. careers. They're not um, you know, high performance, life-giving, passion fulfilling, you know, everything's right. And and I think that disappoints people a lot with the way that the world is talked about. It's like you need to be a high right. achiever in high school, then you need to be a high achiever in college, then you need to get a high paying job, then you need to have your job fulfill your life. And it's like, and then we die. Great, cool. What <laughs> where's this all going? Great thing. Right. And so, like, I think people put themselves under an immense amount of pressure. Yes. To have things look a certain way. What sort of things do you, how do you see that affect people's job search and, and career paths? That's a great question. So um, not vetting what the job actually looks like day to day can be a huge psychological blow, right? So you're thinking, I want to be a lawyer. It's so fast paced. It's so glamorous. It's so whatever. No, you're reading in a dusty room for like 80 hours a week, mm -hmm. <laughs> you were rarely in the courtroom. Like, is that really what you want? So there are, there are some reality checks that people need to go through. If they find, you know, they're in a position that, you know, maybe, you know, I've been driving a forklift for years, I've been working in warehouses. I just don't think I can do this anymore. You know, realistically, you still need to make a paycheck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you can't start over from scratch, you know, and still support your family. So then it's about finding ways to fulfill those needs. Like if you identify later in life, cause we don't always know that maybe you really like, um, being with people more, right. Instead of being in the dingy warehouse, you might say, Hey, can I go along on some of the proposal presentations? Can I, can I include that within my duties? So that's a way to maybe fulfill some of those needs that you learn. I mean, we don't all know when we first start in our career, there's no way I would be presenting early in my career. I was way too shy. <laughs> like that wouldn't have happened. But like you build into certain things that you can anticipate, you find out you enjoy. That said, also, you can't predict what the job landscape is going to look like in five, 10 years. Nobody thought five years ago that nobody would want to work in food or mm -hmm. even sales are having a hard time getting sales people right. out there. It's, I mean, it's impossible to predict. So even just knowing what, what you enjoy most and asking for a little more of that shifting slowly um, to those to safeguard your, you know, your salary, your livelihood um, can help more than saying, I'm going to chuck it all. I'm going to make a leap, right? I hate that word career leap, make a leap. You know, don't do that. Look, set the foundation, <laughs> set yourself up for success. And so it can, it can still be more fulfilling. You can still find activities where you find flow, right? Like you lose track of time without it being like you popping out of bed every morning singing Disney songs because you're so thrilled. If only. <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen until I have my first cup of coffee. But um, right. Here we go. it is it is funny because like that. So and and that's the binary. I, th I think you called out a couple of things that are really cool here. The, the binary thinking of either go to college or it's totally not worth it. 
And the truth is that, you know, spectrums are the reality, right? Right. Certain degrees are absolutely worthwhile. Certain degrees don't get you very far. Um, Or only very few people can make any traction. Sure, exactly. And then, and then there's the whole world of like plumbers make millions of dollars. Like that's insane. Uh, (laughs) And like, but no one thinks about that because it's not on social media and now everyone wants to be a, an influencer, right? And so um, there's these kind of interesting things that happen where it's like, I'm either going to go to school and get the degree or I'm just going to say to hell with it all. And it's that I think there's this like middle ground that we all need to be thinking about, which is if I don't do this, then I have to do this. And these if then statements, I think can be really helpful for our careers, which is like, if I I go to get a master's degree, then I'll be able to open up these opportunities and sell myself self in this way. If I don't go get a master's degree, then I need to build up my brand or do something else to be able to do the things that I want to do. So I'm actually going through that right now. I'm like, do I go get a social work master's degree to learn everything about therapy and psychology and everything like that and spend the money and really have it make no financial impact on my career? Or do I piece together all these things on my own or find other ways to do it and then incorporate it into my business? Get a certification in counseling. Exactly. And not necessarily, because then the other thing is, are you actually making yourself overqualified? Are you actually making yourself too expensive to enter a market, right? If some, some things, like for example, in the teaching profession, if you don't have a job before you earn your master's, oftentimes you can't get into a district. There you go. And these are the things, because then it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to do this thing. But then people don't make the next step and say, well, because I didn't do that thing, now I have to go do these things, right? So I have a, a client who, who didn't get a degree and then didn't want to go to a boot camp for coding. And they said they wanted oh. to prove that they could do it on their own. And I was like, mm. all right, but now you're making it 10 times harder for yourself. Like, right. And if that's the way you're going to go, then you need to build a really good brand, get really good at social interaction, become a great salesperson on your own. Like if you're going to like in, in, in some ways, like tie your hand behind your back by not doing the standard things that people expect, then you need to also build a foundation over here that is strong as strong or as competitive as the sales clout that you would get from these other things. What are your thoughts on that? I'm having that piece of paper. Well, and that's the whole thing. The the premise behind getting the degree is that it's equivalent to, you know, five, 10 years of experience. Like that was the whole point was to fast track someone's career, not to stall it. Mm -hmm. So even the whole idea, you know, like getting in the class, like, great, that's the whole point. It takes really focused approach. So you get what would take you six weeks to figure out. You can figure it out in three weeks or three months, right? Whatever the case may be. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. The other thing I think a lot of people tell themselves is that they have to just get the degree so they can get into the larger organizations because they're the ones most likely to have those kind of benchmark requirements. So I can be a manager, whatever it is, and they wind up kind of getting a garbage degree when in fact, 
the degrees most often slow down your own confidence, your own sense of what you can ask, your own sense of, I feel like people are looking at me differently because I don't have this piece of paper. Mm. So that's another thing to really consider. Like if it's going to put a chip on your shoulder, then it's really not worth trying to, to muddle through that. Right. That's a really good point because a lot of times um, when I talk to people who graduate boot camps, they're like, well, I got the boot camp. I did the boot camp. I got my certification. Where's my job? And it's like, oh, yeah. you thought that gets you jobs. Be, and, and to be fair, this is what schools are selling. They're well, selling. Even the Google courses, they kind of yeah. imply. But yeah. A hard implication that this yes. will be all you need to do when this in reality, part of your onboarding. Yeah. <laughs> in reality, it's that plus learning how to be socially skilled, professionally communicated and like all these different things. Right. And I think that that's one of the things that has shocked me throughout my career is just how important social skills are regardless of, of education and regardless of um, intelligence and regardless of certifications, like you could go to Harvard, but not know how to speak to a person and you will not get the top jobs out of Harvard. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you think about it, if you're looking at the candidate pool, they call in people who are meeting certain requirements, right? They have certain background qualifications. So what's the tiebreaker? Like maybe some person has more, you know, numbers to say like, I can, I can really affect change. I can really bring results. But then even that you usually still have like three who are like, all right, well, these are like the A plus candidates. You take them in a room. All right. Who do we get along with the best? <laughs> who can we put in front of customers? Who can we handle dealing with day to day? And then it's when the EQ is the, it's the tiebreaker, the soft skills make the grade. Yeah. Cause these companies know that at the end of the day, the technology is going to change in two years. The, the, the actual technical skills are going to be constantly in flux, but they need someone who's not going to be a complete pain in the ass while learning the new things, <laughs> who's not going to derail the project because of some ego issue or something like that. And like, and this is where it also like, it's double-sided, right? So on the one hand, you don't, you, you want to showcase these, um, these skills, but on the other hand, you're Absolutely. also being told you don't have enough experience. And I find that that cliche is what companies say to avoid a lawsuit. Um, and I'm curious, mm -hmm. like when you come across clients who are being told over and over again, they don't have enough experience and we went with another candidate because of more experience, they're going to keep going, well, I need more certifications. I need more X, Y, and Z, right? And, and then that gets people into this like productive procrastination of getting degree after degree, after certification, after yes. certification, never and you're getting actually a job. stalling. Yeah. yeah. So what do you say to those people who are like, I understand what you're saying, but I'm being told this. So, so depending on the company, depending on what laws they're obligated to align with, um, sometimes they actually need to meet a certain number of years now that's not to stay. So like I wrote for Dustang for a while, which was a spinoff from Stanford. And they were really great at kind of getting recent grads, director level positions. And one of the ways that you kind of get creative with background and things like that is you kind of count the academic experience towards experience. And that kind of feeds into your idea as the people kind of, they feel compelled to ratchet that up. That's one school of thought. 
I tend to think there's no, there's nothing more confidence building than actually doing something. So even if somebody's going to, if they're a recent grad, if they're returning to work after a long break, staying home with their kids, if they're um, trying to execute a career change, start now. And I'm not saying quit your job and just hope that something falls in your lap. I'm saying like, talk to your friends, coworker, you know, at your current position and ask them to, you know, if there's an opportunity that you can even do a half an hour, like consulting with them on whatever you're trying to build experience in and say, I'll do it for free. If you'll be willing to be a reference or write me a recommendation, if only if you like what I've done for you, right. And kind of building up that experience, whether it's pro bono, whether it's for a, a starter rate on Fiverr, so you can get some reviews, get some traction, get some experience. It doesn't have to be something that takes 40 hours a week. You can say, I'm going to devote three hours a month, but at least you're making progress. And then at least you have things you can talk about. You have projects you can bring up. You have samples, you have code you can show people. And then it's not just, you know, I'm hoping... I'm hoping somebody takes a chance on me. Like, <laughs> it's not about that. The onus isn't on them. Right. You know, at, at some point, it really needs to be about what I'm willing to do to prove that I can do this, right. whatever, because the there's often a range too, right? So they can say it's three to five years. Okay, well, I'm just cutting it in. I'm going to make it. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that companies aren't taking a chance on anyone. That's not how companies operate. They are making a value exchange where they're going to win in the value exchange. We're going to pay you this and you're going to make us more. That's the, yes. that's the interaction. No company is taking a chance. No one's giving you a shot. No one's doing any of these things. They're saying we need value. And that's where I think I, I've seen people who are like, I'll just work for you for free. And it blows up in their face because the company doesn't yeah. want to work for free. They want to pay someone because they care about retention and they also care yes. about you not screwing up the team. You could be a free person that costs the company a lot of money. Right. right? Or because, that you would have be resentful. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then again, creates a lot of issues within the company, right? Because like companies are coming from a place of risk mitigation, risk management. Absolutely. They're not ROI. coming from a place of joy. <laughs> and I find that to be so interesting. Um, but this brings us into that next realm, which I really want to dig into with you, um, where there's a huge portion of the internet focused on mental health, which is what I care about and what you care about. And um, I really want to help people develop the skills to handle the emotional roller coaster of their work and their life and everything like that. But that's not what the internet is telling people. What the internet's telling people is if you have anxiety, tell people you have anxiety and then expect them to change to fit you. I remember when I first started talking about my anxiety publicly, my family was like, what are you doing? Mortified. Never tell yeah. anyone that you're anxious. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not expecting anyone to change for me. I'm just letting them know why I'm having a hard time and what right. I'm trying to do to get better. Setting expectations, I'm setting expectations creating boundaries. And like, yes. but I'm finding this huge push right now of like, tell the company that you have trauma and that you just can't work on Fridays. And it's like, what? <laughs> or like, 
this whole work from home, work remote, um, hybrid work model, it's like uh, companies should be hybrid. And I'm like, yeah, they should. Also, it's their choice. Like, yes. Also, and they hold the control. Right. And if, and if a person says my company won't let me work remote, I, I say to them, did you even ask? Did you make an argument? Did you prove that you're trustworthy? Did you like, did you track your productivity working from home versus in the office? Any of that, right? Like when I don't get a promotion and I also didn't argue for the promotion, that's kind of on me, right? Or ask for it. And so I'm curious, what have you sort of seen in the advice out there or in the mindsets that have been changing? Because I do feel like I'm slowly becoming a boomer or something like that, where like, (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to have like 17 year olds yelling at me about my career advice in the next five years. Are you telling people to get off your lawn? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, that's, that's a whole thing. Always. <laughs> I, I have a lawn now. So yeah. <laughs> but what are you seeing out there? Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Um, yeah. So I understand that people are trying to inspire the world to be a better place, right? We're we're all wishing that um, we could just say the the employee needs this and we would fulfill their wishes and dreams and that would make them into a superstar employee, right? That's the idea, right? If you give me what you want, what I want up front, I'm just going to rocket ship through this place. But the company is still looking at it as an ROI perspective, right? So if we hear things like, let's normalize you know, whatever, or let's uh, bring your whole self to work um, or dear recruiter, right? All these, all oh, these dear posts that start like, I know, oh, right? Dear, dear recruiter, recruiter, stop doing your job. Yeah. Stop using the foreign letter the company's making you use. <laughs> They're not going to do it. They can't. Um, or, you know, I even hear the LinkedIn pundits, they'll say, I don't mind if you have a gap. I don't mind if someone has a brief tenure. You're not the gatekeeper. Right. <laughs> It's like you're Joe Schmo at company. It's like who you're not the person who's screening me. <laughs> so it's setting this false standard for the job seeker. It's really setting them up to fail, right? So as much as it's like, yes, we should all try to be better. Yes, we should all try to do better. Um, yes, people should have um bias training. Absolutely. Do they all? No. Especially like once you get past, you know, maybe the the recruiter did, maybe not. Probably HR did. By the time you get to the hiring manager, probably not. Yeah. The other team members, they have no idea what they're doing. They just got pulled off their desk and told, hey, we need to just see your opinion on this candidate. They they have no idea. So it's also about that reality of these are the challenges, right? It's the research is saying that if you're over 40, you're a protected class and you're going to be facing certain things for us to ignore that or, you know, the job hopper thing, right? Everybody's like, no big deal. No big deal. Okay. Well, the research tells us it's a problem. Mm-hmm. The, when we see recruiter posts, it says in it, you can only have had two positions in the last five years. You can have no position shorter than two and a half years, or we're not even going to look at you it's baked into some of the, the eight applicant tracking systems. So you telling the job seeker, you know, uh, own it, no big deal. Just say, I, I leave every six months because the environment was toxic. Okay, well, if you've got 
back to back six, nine month tenures, guess what? <laughs> if everyone is an a-hole, you're the a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's reflecting poorly on you. It's hurting you. Right. So at that point, it's like, okay, well, we need to address this head on. We, we need to use some content strategies. We need to come up with a narrative for you. You know, whether it's, I make an impact really quickly, these were contract roles and they, and they should, this should be all truth-based mm-hmm. right, narrative. <laughs> um, streamlining or combining, right? Even if it's a long tenure, maybe you're breaking it up because we're trying to show versatility, right? And I'm not just a one trick pony. To ignore it though, is damaging to the job seeker. That's so true. And I think like, again, when it comes to all these things, it's not, oh, I have this, woe is me. I have a gap, woe is me. I'm a job hopper, woe is me. It's, I'm a job hopper, Therefore, I need to do these things to overcome the concern, right? Right. And this is objective management in a way. Like, you know, they're going to object. So you have to come up with a response to that objection, right? So early in my career, yeah, proactively. So early in my career, I was a job hopper, um, technically. And well, and it's very appropriate, really. Yeah. Well, yeah especially early. Cause like the average job is like four years or something like that. If you look at the stats, but the, I, I realized it and I was like, okay, if I'm going to be someone who changes here and, and it wasn't all like chosen, right. I worked for a lot of startups. So startups were a mess right. back in the 2015. Yes. And you can't it, control that. Right. But I, I knew it was going to be an issue. So I created something called job hopper TV, where I created little videos about like, how to proactively like do different things in your career and stuff like that. And like, it only lasted like a week and it was one of the many steps towards career therapy. But it was interesting how like at the time it's like some people go, oh, I'm a job hopper. I guess I'll never get a job. It's like, no, no, I'm no. always going to have low level, high turnover roles. Right. It's like, no, now you just need to build this other part of yourself up. And like, that I think is what is missing in a lot of these conversations is the proactive development of the individual and kind of giving people permission to be crappy. And then they go into these jobs and they end up being the bad coworker and the bad manager, creating bad yeah. circumstances around themselves. And, and then they wonder why every job they have is toxic, right? Like I know what the toxic things I was doing when I was young were, and I have made huge changes in my life so that those things don't replicate themselves. But we're almost not encouraging people to do that in some ways. But right. are you seeing any other things like that? Um, any sort of, it's, it's so hard to, because with any sort of content, it's so broad by nature. You don't know who you're talking to or you're talking to, you know, hundreds of people. Hopefully you're getting some views. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you're by need making it, right? <laughs> trying to make it broad and, and applicable, right. To many people. And, and just by, by nature, you're not able to customize your content to what they need. Right. So that's so hard because the job seeker will read it and they'll say, yeah, sounds great. But now what do I do? Right. Mm-hmm. They don't understand, you know, they don't, understand what the actionable steps are, right? I'm facing age discrimination. So what am I doing? So maybe you're going into the interview and saying, 
my company's switching to an online service feature. So they, they don't think relationships are important. Like, and then nobody's listening to my ideas. And the person that you're talking to is a younger individual and they've been pushing for automation for their company. And you just basically, you know, talked down to them and they have, they have a chip on their shoulder already. Like I've worked so hard to get in this market. People didn't retire forever. Guess what? It's not really age discrimination. It's attitude. (laughs) Mm. The age discrimination thing is fascinating to me because it comes up a lot with the people I work with. I work with folks who are going through boot camps at every age, like high school all the way up to, you know, 60. And it comes up all the time. And it's, it's a really tough one because on the one hand, it's like, there is going to be age discrimination that we have to deal with. And I'm not, I would never deny any of these things, right? As much as I'm going to, in this episode, we're being hard on the job seeker in 90% of our episodes, we're being hard on the companies. And like, I feel like we're being hard on misinformation. Yes. Okay. That's a really good breakdown of it. And like, I think, I think with the age discrimination thing, it's like, yes, age discrimination is a thing. Yes. It's unfair. Also, and this is where it's like, yes, and I think yes, and is such a great phrase. It's like, and I have worked with people who wanted to be in market, a marketing communications director who couldn't figure out Zoom. And it took me an hour and a half to teach them how to use Zoom. And I've been on calls with people who can't figure out Slack. And I've been on calls. And it's not to say like, that's making them a bad person. It's just like, at, at a certain point, my grandpa was like, computers came out and he was like, I'm just not going to do that. And he was typing up, uh, he was typing up leases for the apartments that he owned on a typewriter in 2008. And like, wow, exactly. And like, he just said, I'm not, I'm going to skip that technology. And those kinds of mindsets are what create the bias Right. That people then Whether apply it's to true everyone. or not. True or not. Right. Right. But it's you just need one example of a coworker or a manager who like couldn't figure out email for that bias to get stuck in your head. Right. And so what I try and teach people is like instead of being upset about this, right? Because you could get upset about it. You could go create a blog called ageism is the worst and like right. make your whole Put life nasty about, comments online and right. <laughs> and just collect screenshots and like mire yourself in this world of ageism being the worst thing in the world and maybe even make money off it. I don't know. I mean, if you want to do that, go for it. But like, (laughs) and then just tell everyone you should stop being ageist. And it's like, okay, but like, it's there. So what do we do about it? And I'm like, you can literally change the way you talk in an interview to remove the bias, to address and control the conversation and control the conversation. So like, if you say like, oh yeah, I love using Slack. I'm on discord and I, you know, create YouTube videos. No, one's going to have an ageism issue with you in that case, because you've preempted it. I mean, it might come up in other ways. There's no perfect solution here, but, um, but there are definitely things that you can do infuse in your content infuse in your conversations to offset that preconceived notion. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. And young and old. Well, and then the next narrative that comes up is why is that onus on me? Right. Why is it on me to have to change myself to everyone else's bad opinions and bad biases? So to an extent though, it's human nature, right? Like 
everybody wants to hang out with, work with basically idealized versions of themselves, whoever you are, wherever you are, whether we admit it or not, that's what we're doing. So when we find out, this is why it's so important to find out the company culture. This is why it's so important to find, to really diagnose those job descriptions, to see exactly what kind of personality clues they're giving us Mm -hmm. in, in that and say, this aligns with what, where I thrive or me trying to act like this all day, every day would wear me into the ground mm-hmm. and I cannot physically do it, or I can make it work because most of the role is something that I want to do. So, and it, it's true for young job seekers. It's true for old job seekers that there are these impressions and they kind of, you know, even for the sake of ROI that we were talking about from a hiring standpoint, the middle ground is where they get the most value, right? You, you are professionally polished. You don't take as much time to ramp up. You know how to interact with customers. Your skill sets are enough that you could, even if you don't understand research enough to figure it out, right? Whether as if we're too young, we're making a lot of, of missteps. We're not confident. We're asking everybody for help and reinforcement. And then, like you said, on the, on the later end, we might be overconfident. We might not be changing with the times we might be even in an interview setting, a lot of people who have great accomplishments in their work history, they'll focus on that instead of focusing on the value that they can offer the organization. So they're really looking back the whole time and never looking forward, still never trying to help out the company. Cause really anytime an organization is hiring, they're sending out an SOS right? I need help. I'm buried. (laughs) And they need somebody to say, listen, I don't have a whole lot of problems and I'm going to solve your problems. (laughs) So then it becomes the point. If I do have issues, right? When do I address that? Or when do I deal with that? And then it becomes apparent, you know, do you, as much as you can to offset it proactively, either by really careful use of adjectives, right? Like if they're concerned that you're an older candidate, you might want to say things like, I'm versatile, I'm adaptable, I'm a quick learner. Show it by having joined some organizations, be networking, not just resting on your laurels and being like, oh, all my references are retired. Um, Getting any new tech skills, showing on your LinkedIn profile that you're not writing it like a third person bio from the 1980s using first person, (laughs) actually commenting, supporting other people. There are really active ways to do this, to demonstrate it. And then when you are in the interview, those are the things that they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about your credentials. They're going to talk about this. They're not just going to be sitting back and be like, hmm, I don't know if Tina's going to know how to use the copier. (laughs) Well, and this brings us to that, that point of like, the advice out there, I don't think is helping people in a lot of ways. Um, maybe it's helping them feel good that they are angry and like, oh, someone else like feels the same Validating. way as me. So the yeah. validation and like, there's a time and a place for validation, I think. Um, but validation quite often is not productive. It is just stagnation. It just keeps you where you're at, right? Like if I'm someone, let's just use a hypothetical. you can look at all sorts of different like TV shows that have these examples, right? You've got someone who's miserable in their relationship and they go hang out with other people who are miserable in their relationship. 
And all of them just talk about how miserable their relationships are. And then by the end of the series, everyone is broken up with their significant others, right? And like versus a good friendship, a good healthy group of friends is like, we have these issues. What do we do? How do we improve? What do we make it better? Like with the limitations we have in our lives, how do we get the best outcome? And I think what's not really being talked about in this, like, you don't deserve to be treated this way. You don't deserve to be blah, blah, blah. And obviously like there are companies that take massive advantage of people. Sure. And, I don't, and we're and not talking about that. Right. If you're in a truly toxic environment, get the hell out. Right. But Absolutely. The, the truth is, is that I think some of this stuff is creating false expectations for what jobs can actually do for our lives. And we're putting people in a place where they think their job is actually going to fulfill them. That is going to be a replacement for meaningful relationships that is going to be fulfill as fulfilling or more fulfilling than like starting a family. That's one of the narratives out there. Or meeting your spiritual needs. Right. It's like, it's like, I don't have a family, but I'm pretty sure when I'm 55 coaching won't be as spiritually enlightening as other parts of my life. Like, it's like, I just, I can't imagine at like the age of 65 being like, yep, getting on the same coaching calls, talking about resumes that I've been doing for 55 years is going to be as rewarding as it is like now when I'm like early on in my career. If you have nothing else. If, if I have, have nothing no else. other, Cause I've been doing it forever. I love it, but I'm not assuming that I'm going to snuggle up with my laptop at night. <laughs> right. Right. Or like that I'm going to get like healthy by coaching people. Right. Like I need to right. eat well, I need to work out. I need to have friendships and relationships and family connections and things outside of work. And I think that there's these narratives that like work can and should be everything. And I think it's setting people up for failure because <laughs> there's just this, like Exhausting. I was, I was at home with my family and it's so funny because I'm typical millennial, you know, 10 years ago, I was like, I want to love my job and I want to quit this. And all of a sudden my dad just like (laughs) rolls his eyes at me. Right. And I'm at home with my family, like a couple of weeks ago, having a nice dinner. And I said, you know what I think the the truth is? I think we all just need to lower our expectations of things. And my dad just like started laughing because <laughs> it's like, I do think He's like, like, this is myself saying that 20 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, I'm not saying like lower your expectations and accept a toxic work environment. I'm saying like, be realistic. Realistic. And what do you you think the realistic outlooks are? I'm not sure I know what you're asking. I'm sorry. Like when it (laughs) comes to like, like what we should expect a company to be able to give Ah. us. Like, I think people think companies are these like pillars of excellence that should be like perfect when we get in there. And you said they're all sending out SOS sim- uh, signals, well, right? And it's a mess. Like no matter how, <laughs> you know, no matter how, you know, they, they'll take these ideals, you know, they'll, they'll take Google as their model and they'll be like, great, we can buy a ping pong table. Or they'll <laughs> say, oh, this is the d- diversity, equity, and inclusion statement. All right, we'll copy it and paste it. They have no idea how to integrate it. They have no idea how to execute it day to day. So even, I mean, they're kind of, as much as we're struggling, as much as these job seekers are struggling to try to hone in on what, what's going to get traction, what's going to get the most, they're doing the same thing on a corporate level, right? And, and even if you have these lofty ideas where you're like, 
okay, well, we're matrix, but there's no double reporting. So only report to your primary so-and-so so that not everybody's bothering you for up to, guess what? Everybody's going to still, everybody's still going to like, like you said, there's the ideal and then there's the real life execution. So from a, from an employee standpoint, kind of assume, guess what? They're going to be communication problems. <laughs> there are going to be breakdowns. There are going to be, you know, unclear expectations. There are going to be personality conflicts. So then it's a matter of, okay, how, how do I navigate this? And what's the cost to me? Cause sometimes the cost is too high mm-hmm. and sometimes it's absolutely something you can navigate or you can identify, I have a, a gap here and I need to address this, right? A lot of times people are companies and employees are really unclear where they know there's a problem, but they don't actually know where the gap is. Mm-hmm. They don't diagnose it really well, right? So for um, a job seeker, they might be like, I'm a great communicator. And then you're like looking through and sometimes I'll even talk to their families or coworkers, especially if they're having a hard time coming up with EQ points. And, you know, some a coworker said, well, actually this, this individual punches the holes in the, in the wall when they get frustrated. I'm like, okay, so he's claiming to be a good communicator. Mm. All right. So that identifying that kind of disconnect and whether it's through a, you know, 360 feedback or working with the coach or, you know, maybe even, um, doing some sort of anonymous feedback loop, right. To your organization to give them suggestions, to give them, you know, ideas to how to actually execute things more effectively. And then again, it's going to take time. It takes, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for all of these things to come through, even if you do flag it and recommend something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that dialogue, like you were saying earlier, you can't expect it to be perfect if you don't say anything. And that's not to say demand upfront, like I'm not going to work here if I don't get a parking spot and I'm not going to work here if, you know, whatever, I don't get a pod. Um, and saying, listen, we all want, you know, after you've already helped them and you've got some credibility and you're invested in the organization personally, emotionally, professionally, whatever to say, listen, we all want the best outcomes. What, how about we try this? Like those are very different things. I love that. And, and just to add to it, I think like understanding that everyone is human and flawed, I think is a really great thing to bring into the job search and into your career, because there is a, it's almost like circles, right? There's like, so you're in the middle and around you is a circle of people. There's the tolerable levels of expected humanity. <laughs> yes. And then there's right. the intolerable levels of toxic humanity. And so as long yes. as you're within that inner circle of normal bullshit to put in other right. in inconveniences, <laughs> right? People having moods, right? Yeah. As long as you're within that realm it's okay. And all we should be doing is becoming better at dealing with it. So right. something as simple as like the company hasn't gotten back to me yet. And it's been two weeks. That's not toxicity. That's inefficiency. And that's expected. Right. So like I had someone today and they're like, if I don't hear back before Memorial day, well, if they're not going to give me an answer before Memorial day, then that's an indicator that they don't want me. 
And I'm like, I don't think they're thinking about Memorial Day at all. They're They're just making a picnic. Yeah, they're (laughs) they're not thinking we have to make this like by not responding by Memorial Day, he'll get the signal. Like that's not happening. It's like, no. So we create these stories in our heads. And I think what I'm, what I'm hoping people are taking away from this podcast is like a lot of stuff is just miscommunication and other people having the same anxieties you have or the same yeah. worries you have. Like you have, you know, your traumas and anxieties and you want other people to accommodate you, but are you accommodating them? Right. And that is giving like, them that grace. Yeah, exactly. So if you want grace, you have to give it right. And I think that well, and that's, assuming positive intent, right? A lot of these, the hiring windows sometimes are, are long, like three months, five months, because they're trying to give people a fair chance, like a wide range of applicants to come in. So yeah. them, so, and sometimes they're not allowed to comment, right? Their, po- their policy mm-hmm. prohibits them from saying, you're a top contender. Like, no, 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 you're not supposed to interact with people. You're not supposed to create any false impressions. So they're, they're not allowed to say anything. Okay, they're, again, they're trying something. They're trying to do their best. They're trying to not be biased. They're trying to give people a chance and you're getting offended about it. <laughs> yeah, a great example is that now there's uh, quotas where they can't look at any of the applications until they have a certain percentage of, you know, X gender, X race that's applied. And I've had internal connections with companies and they've said to me, it'll be a month or two before we even look at anything because we have to wait for this number to be hit. It's like, all right, that's the policy. And if you're for diversity and inclusion, you can't then get mad that this is happening, you know? And that's where it's so funny. But it's it's slowing me down. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, well, I truly believe that the world should be this way, except, you know, like, like I, I I'm believe not gonna in, recycle. Right. Yeah. I believe in, <laughs> I believe that global warming is a bad thing, but gosh, recycling is such a pain for me. You know, it's just like, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, we live in this and it's so human to do this. I'm not calling yes, anyone out. Absolutely. Like, it's just, we have this, like the world should treat me like this. And also I shouldn't have to accommodate anything. And like that mindset. Or is they so just weird. don't realize this is why, you know, like they just take it personally. They're so on the defensive. They're so in in so much emotional turmoil that everything seems like the world giving them negative biofeedback. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you put it that way because I don't think it's conscious. I think a lot of people until you point it out to them, it's like, they don't even notice. I I think that uh, when I was younger, I complained about everything. And I had a friend who was like, yeah, you're going to need to stop complaining or do something about it. Cause I can't put up with this anymore. And I was like, I needed that. Cause I wasn't seeing it, you know, and that right. level of like exposure to like, Oh, wait a second. Going back to the earlier phrase, if everyone's an a-hole, maybe I'm the common denominator <laughs> here. Right? All right. All right. I'm seeing the picture. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, and even just assuming positive intent that people people say things the wrong way or, or they were literally just curious, like, oh, you're in a wheelchair. Like they weren't trying to be a jerk. They were like, literally like, wow, that's cool. What model do you have? We don't know <laughs> Yeah. until we start talking to them a little more and give them, you know, an opportunity to work through it. Give them an opportunity to work through the candidate pool yeah. or even give them an opportunity to hire somebody else and realize they made a mistake and 90 days later, later <laughs> decide, actually, could we talk to you? Again? It happens all the time. And I think that 
unfortunately, what we're seeing on LinkedIn and social media and everything is encouraging people to take the worst possible interpretation of every interaction. And if we do that, say goodbye to your career, because there's no way that you can navigate these complex hum human interactions if that's if everything's going to be personal, right? If every yeah. time a dish isn't washed, there's a huge fight in the house, it's going to be a pretty hell of a marriage, right? Like, these right. are the things where we have to start realizing, like, it's fine to be validated by these posts online. And like, as you go through your stream, be like, yeah, yeah, the job search is crap. This is stupid. These policies are ridiculous. And maybe this does take too long. And maybe it is inefficient. And I can, I can at least, I can even give you know people what? that. I'm going to disagree with there, with you okay. there just a little bit. Sure. I'm going to say, if you can find one like gripe buddy, right? So Martin, you still got to complain. That's all right. You got a vent. But if you have like your person that you trust, that's not gonna, you know, pee in the pool, so to speak, <laughs> like they're not going to hurt you in any way, right? You trust them. And that goes the same with your job search, find somebody that you can, you know, swear, throw things, whatever you need to do vent. It's not fair. I gave this company 30 years of my life. They don't, they didn't respect me. Get through your garbage, right? So it doesn't leak into everything else, but you don't want to be talking about it with everybody. Mm -hmm. You'll, you'll corrupt your network and have them being on like, oh, I hope you feel better. Oh my gosh. I don't even want to talk to him right. rather than being like, what can I do? And same thing with your feed. If you're engaging with this and being like, yeah, clap, clap, like, like commenting, you said it, me too, griping and complaining. And now this is public record and you're training your feed to give you more of that. Ooh, that's so good. your whole paradigm is going to be garbage, garbage, complaining, the world is ending mm -hmm. rather than again, find your safe spot. It doesn't have to be a pod in an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> and then in, instead seek out constructive content. Yes. Seek out and not necessarily blind confidence, not necessarily like the toxic positivity, awesome. but actually something that's giving you something that you can chew on. I love that. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, that's what coaching I feel like is one of the best benefits of it is like, you can complain to me all day. I'll even validate yes. some of your feelings, but I'm always going to bring you back to what can you do about this? Because the end of the complaining cycle is despair. And so yes. we don't want to land there. We don't want We're the getting end of the just so whipped up into shape. We're angry. And then we go into our job that we're trying to leave constructively and not burn bridges and bring in all this negative energy and a mess. You've got to harness forbid, it. Go on an interview with anger inside you. Like they're going to read it. And that's, I think like when people say fake it till you make it, I'm like, try faking your subtle emotions. Just try. Right. It's hard. It's not easy. Uh, if you're a bitter human being, people will pick up on it, even if it's not obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the whole transcript reads perfectly. <laughs> yeah. It's like the tone and the way you, even the way you smile, like people can pick up on things. Absolutely. Well, and even the, um, the video interviews, the biometric scanning, if, <sighs> if they are, if they're taking interviews by hand, a lot of times they are not actually listening to your, to your answer. They're like writing down seems friendly, real positive guy. Mm -hmm. I'd love to work with him. Seems great. 
So that again, going back to like the EQ and like all these candidates come with the same credentials. They're looking for a lot of that subtext, a lot of the stuff you don't even realize you're, you're exuding. I love it. And obviously I could talk to you about this for hours, but what is maybe one positive next step people can take? Obviously, you know, we touched on some of the big advices out there and like, we're talking about the nuance of the individual. What is something someone could do to better understand themselves so that they can better navigate these waters? Um, You know, I really like the um, job search journal or the um, even career journal, if you're doing that, even if you just do a couple lines every day to kind of keep on point with where you are with everything and look for themes and frustration points. Um, and then in terms of the job search, I think it's really helpful if you're, if you've been doing it for a while and you're not getting traction, like I said, a lot of people think their problem is like the resume, for example, when it's actually interviewing mm-hmm. or they think they really need to work on salary negotiations but they actually don't have a network to even get to that point, right? So writing down what you think the steps are in your job search process and identifying where you're stalled. I can think really that's help. huge. And Erica, where can folks find more about what you're working on and uh, connect with you? Uh, sure. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I like to post content. So that's just my name, Erica Reckamp. And then for my website, it's, for my website, it's job search like a pro. I love it. All right, everyone go connect with Erica. Thank you so much for being with us today. So many amazing uh, insights into the into the mental of the job search. So I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, Subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.